What's up everybody, it's Dan Binder Boneyard coming at you from the office at the shop. Uh, it is a fall Saturday, uh, normally I do this on Sundays, but uh, we've got a Sunday haul. I'm going to go bring back the Travelette that uh, I'm going to build for the Nora 1000 Baja race. Uh, this truck will be the chase truck for the Anything Scout race effort which is the race Terra that they raced um, this year you know the four-cylinder um, Terra and then they're also hopefully going to have the restoration on Sherman Balsh's Scout done and that will also be raced um, as an exhibition I think but uh, having two race trucks means the chase crew has to be extra prepared so um, I'm going to bring this Travelette with the service bed and really try to outfit it for multiple, um, or as functional as possible. That's the plan. We'll see if I can pull it off in time, but uh, I've got a lot of the parts here. A lot of the stuff is ready to go. The service bed needs some repair because, uh, just use and whatnot. It needs to be set up a little differently for race duty. So uh, I've got a rack that I had built a long time ago that will outfit to put on there because it is a short bed. Uh, you know, the chase trucks, you need every square footage of uh, bed you can for spares and tools and tires and fuel cans and gear and everything else that uh, you want to be prepared for uh, because in Mexico, and if you're running a scout, if you have a problem, you're on your own. And so that's the important thing there. So so outfitting this chase truck um, is going to be the plan. But anyways, I don't want to get too far off on that. We'll do a different uh, podcast about chase truck and desert racing another time. But uh, thank you everybody for listening. I appreciate it. And uh, this episode... We're going to talk about metal work, metal fabrication, that sort of thing. And I know I've done one or two of these in the past, but I think they were quite a while ago. So we're going to touch on metal fab again, just for the guys that want to delve into that side of owning their international. Because you can't own one of these things and not have to do some sort of metal repair whether it be rust repair on the body, uh, frame, suspension work, uh, or even you go farther and do you know custom bumpers and roll cages and things like that. So I'm going to try and cover some stuff here. Um, you know, so thank you everybody for following along. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I love you all. Uh, very grateful. Very thankful for your patreon donations and the subscriptions on the on the Instagram and that sort of stuff I I really do appreciate it so um, you know we'll start off with basics you know welders equipment um, you're gonna need a welder if you're just gonna do sheet metal work uh, 110 welder is fine I try to avoid 
you know the harbor freights and the low dollar stuff at least go to your local welding store or try to find one on marketplace or something that um, you can run uh, I prefer gas shielded flux core wire and sheet metal don't really go well together uh, it's just not it doesn't work well flux core is fine for framework plates things like that because it's flux core is similar to stick welding so you know it, it's you get slag and it's dirty and you can't lay the nicest of bead but it's strong and it holds but sheet metal work you need small welds good heat control uh, and so then you run you run the gas um, so you know a little Lincoln Miller Hobart uh, those guys even I'm not a super fan of ESOBs um, I worked in some big shops back in the day because my my background is fabrication in the early 2000s we had some ESOBs I think the shop manager fell for the ESOB sales guy they you know we kicked all the old Lincoln's to the side and they set up all these ESOBs and feeders and all this stuff and they didn't work very well <laughs> they were really problematic and a lot of the guys the old welders they stopped using the ESOBs and drug the old CP300s or CP301 I think they were the old Lincoln's out because they were the power units and then they had we called them dogs and so you had these feeder the spools of wire were on small carts and, and you had these long leads and anyway man I'm all over the place today but anywho Lincoln Miller Hobart that's kind of the, the top three in my opinion uh, I am a Miller man although we do have a Lincoln 110 welder here that we do solely sheet metal work with um, so you can buy Lincoln's at Home Depot uh, I recommend going to the welding supply store uh, and, and getting something there but you want to be able to run hard wire you know like 023 as small wire that's good for sheet metal work uh, and you know a lot of it with everything in life the quality of your work it comes down to prep so you know everything needs to be clean you gotta have good fit up you need to be using good material uh, it's tough with automotive stuff because most of automotive sheet metal is 19 gauge which is a weird gauge like it's just not you can't just go to your steel supply store and buy 19 gauge unless you live in a big city you know I like my friend over at Tin Man, talk to them, and they get truckloads of 19 gauge because they're in, you know, Chicago. So out here in Central Oregon, I said 19 gauge to my steel guy, and he was like, really? Like, you really want 19 gauge? Um, so <laughs> we do everything out of 18 gauge coal rolled, which uh, is, is a raw, um, you know, pickled and oiled, no mill scale. Uh, I recommend you look into something like that for you if you're doing a large sheet metal project you're gonna want P&O uh, in the 18 gauge so anyway um, you know prep is super important 
and then you know practice your setups and stuff on some scrap or some drop or shear off a few small pieces and figure out your machine settings so that when you go to actually start welding on your body um, that you're set up right. Um, number one thing to think about with sheet metal work uh, especially exterior sheet metal work is heat. You do not want to heat up those panels because they will move warp and suck down or pop out so you know you do a spot and then you move and do another spot you know several inches away from where you were and then do another spot um, to keep the heat down uh, and I've seen I, I don't watch a lot of the car shows but I've seen these guys doing metalwork and they use wet rags to cool down the area that they're working on uh, the last thing I want to do is introduce more rust, potential rust, to, to the process. So we do not use wet rags here. I really, really try to keep guys from, uh, deter guys from using wet rags. Uh, what works just as good, in my opinion, is air. So keep an air hose near you make sure your air compressor is up to the task but every time you make a tack then you hit it with compressed air for you know four or five mississippis and then you move on make another tack cool it down make another tack cool it down and yeah it's a time-consuming tedious process but doing it that way will ensure that the heat won't spread to other parts of your panel that the warping will be minimal any panel changing will be minimal um, and so that's what I recommend for external sheet metal work you know small welder small wire keep it cool uh, move around don't weld in the same spot twice and then uh, you know go that route grinding grinding is the same way you can introduce just as much if not more heat to the area with a grinder so you want to small areas knock it down quick cool it down fast with air make sure the whole panel is staying cool move around and then it's not until you've knocked down all your welds to a reasonable height that then you can go over it with um, you know a sanding block or a file some guys will use a file depending on the, the shape of the panel whatever you know and then finish it out with the DA you know 80 grit and 120 or 180 and go that route you can use some um, you know guide coat figure you know, if you can't see what it's doing sometimes you can get away with using primer as a guide coat and then you sand it and see where the high and low spots are and then you can go back from there but yeah external sheet metal work like that it's there's finesse it takes a while um, you know if you're patching a rusty spot you want to make your you want to cut out about uh, a half inch more area than you think you need because I just know how the rust is on internationals and it's always bigger than what you can see so and then the other thing I recommend is when you've got a hole cut for your patch to try and get in there and vacuum out or blow out any loose rust 
and then try and treat it with something um, acid we use a lot of uh, phosphoric acid uh, to neutralize that rust it turns it black makes it hard and then you can throw paint or primer over the top of it and that'll help slow down any future rust um, it doesn't you know I don't think anything stops rust completely forever but doing that at least keeps it from growing for quite a while um, so you always try and treat that stuff even like pour 15 which I'm not a fan of but I know a lot of guys use it uh, pour 15 you throw right on top of the rust you don't do any treating and that's supposed to stop it as well but anyway uh, if you're going to move on to something more heavy-duty structural type stuff you're gonna want a welder with a little more power than a than a 110 you can get away with some repairs up to maybe 3 16 inch thick material with a 110 welder but you gotta have a dedicated 20 amp power source for that 110 so it can have you know the best chance of, of penetration uh, I don't like to go much more than that on a 110 uh, so yeah you really want uh, a 220 powered machine that can put out some power uh, we run 030 wire in our big welder um, because we do do sheet metal work with it still so 030 is a little bit heavy for that but it still works pretty decent uh, I've done a lot of body repair with uh, with that unit um, um, mine's an old Miller Miller Matic 250 doesn't even have a dial uh, it's got a big you know you change the lead from high to low and then it's got this big clunky thing that's like one through six that sets the voltage um, so each you know on high and you crank it to six you can do some serious burning with that so it spends a lot of its time on low but like number five uh, that's where it does a lot of work or high and number one um, you know just because that's we operate in the middle in the middle there and that's how I do all of my equipment everything I buy I don't buy anything that I'm always operating at the upper end of its duty range. Uh, you always want to be mid-range, you know. We have a Bridgeport mill here that's capable of a lot and we use it for, you know, all of our door hinge rebuilds and some basic milling, but it sure is nice knowing that we could do high-end precision work if we we needed to. So anyway, you're going to want to find a 220 welder again, Miller, Lincoln, Hobart, uh, marketplace is a good place to look for those because they can get expensive um, you know if you're just a hobbyist you're it's tough to justify spending 2500 on a brand new Miller Matic 250 from the welding supply store um, but you know if you're doing roll cages spring hanger uh, you know suspension work bumper sliders you really want a good welder and I know I get it. I hear it all the time. Like, oh, I built whatever with my Lincoln 110, or you know, I I don't recommend uh, 110 welders for stuff that you're gonna depend on. Um, you know, a lot of guys use arc welding still. You stick weld a lot of that. Stick weld. I try not. To, you recommend anything under 316. You don't want to stick weld because it's just too hot. Um, but and really, I don't think quarter inch is 
really necessary on uh, any automotive application except maybe parts of the bumper uh, but for the most part you know 3 16 is more than enough for a lot of stuff uh, if it's a, a weight carrying area like a pivot area on a swing out carrier you can double plate with the 3 16 or uh, something like that but yeah I just when you go straight to quarter I just think it's excessive and overly necessary um, I don't know but uh, unless it's actual mounts like if it's a spring hanger or a link mount or shock mount or something like that then yes you want to be at least quarter for those uh, quarter and double shear if it's for shock mounts and, and whatnot so um, you know some of that is application based but what I'm I guess my thought about the material thickness was you know on some of the um, I don't know accessory stuff like bumpers and cages and whatnot you don't need you know all of our roll cages are 120 wall which is eighth inch um, you know inch and three-quarter 120 wall is more than adequate for most of the roll cages roll bars out there um, all the foot plates are quarter inch um, so you know that's something to keep in mind but yeah really quarter inch wall on a, on a bumper is excessive in my opinion because if you're hitting something like yeah I, I don't know like you're gonna cause other problems if your quarter inch bumper doesn't bend it's gonna wrinkle your frame or move stuff around and that's what you don't want either but again comes down to with the with that kind of welder is prep again get the rust off get it clean get the mill scale off because you know the heavier materials come with that black mill scale so you're gonna want to have that hard stone and uh, you know get that get that off of there so that it's, it's good clean metal to metal uh, again, you're going to want to practice on some material before you get into it just to make sure your settings are right on your machine, um, you know, and get that good. Wire feed is pretty straightforward, you know, so everyone has their own opinion on, on patterns or how you run or, you know, I'm kind of a circular forward and back kind of guy. Um, some other guys are weave zigzag guys and then there's other guys that just straight no motion just push or pull depending on how they feel um, I know there's you know you can get into the weeds on the AWS um, specifications and you know how to pass your your testing and stuff like that but for most of us uh, that's not really necessary and if you're trying to get that precise then um, you know you're not your average home home hobbyist but uh, yeah you know um, when you're doing important stuff like like bumper mounts make sure what you're mounting to is good like don't just bolt your 200 pound bumper to the two bolts on the front of the frame because that's gonna wear, tear through the holes in the bumper or tear through the holes in the frame so when you're building stuff make sure you're accounting for extra plating to go down the frame rail to carry the weight uh, if you're gonna have a winch on your front bumper you know not only does the bumper need to be up to the task of double what the winch is capable of um, but also the frame mounting needs to be appropriately uh, matched uh, 
So that's important. Same with the back bumper. If you're going to be towing something and you're not have and you don't have a receiver hitch, which I recommend everyone get the bolt-on receiver hitch. Um, it's just better that way than trying to build a bumper with a ball on it, because uh, you end up being too tall anyways. You need the receiver hitch to as a drop, because um, trailer manufacturers design their trailers with a 19-inch tongue height. That's at least that's how it used to be. It may have changed, but for a million years. Trailer manufacturers were set at 19 inches. And so that's the beauty of the square receiver tube was that you could fine tune your hitch height with, with your drop hitch or raised hitch, depending on what you have. Um, so on the trucks and travel walls, you know, the, the drop hitch is nice. I mean, I have them on everything I, I tow with and, you know, it's a must. Have. I would never bumper pull anything um, just because of I don't know just the height problems and then being sure that the bumper is strong enough to handle whatever you're trying to do not only just for going down the road but if you get rear-ended or something happens you know the last thing you want is your bumper taking that impact um, you know you want the drop hitch the receiver to to take that because that's easily replaceable uh, whereas if you mangle a bumper and it hits a tailgate or your end caps or something then that causes other problems so you know and the receiver hitches are available through you know your local trailer place um, you know you just gotta make sure you look for it some of them times you have to order it by dimension and not necessarily by application uh, and you'll find that the square body Chevy ones are very close to the international C and D series frames. Uh, you might have to add an extra hole to the frame to get a D uh, Chevy one to fit, but um, they do go on fairly easily. The Scout 2 one is pretty specific to Scout 2, uh, and you know that is available through like U-Haul and places like that. But uh, yeah, so when you're welding. You know, like I said, it's clean. Make sure you got good PPE. You got a decent hood with a good viewing lens that you can see out of. That's the hardest thing, of, or you know, one of the hardest parts about getting a good weld is seeing it. Is being able to see what you're, what you're doing, where you're going. You know, I slack sometimes and let my um, viewing window, the the cover lens gets really really uh, beat up you know tons of um, damage to it and it starts to darken my viewing window and so you know I'll be welding and then I'll stop and I'll flip the hood up and then turns out I you know went a half inch past where I was supposed to stop or come you know just get a little bit out of where I needed to be because I just couldn't see it and so uh, you know then I go oh, change my cover lens and make sure everything's clean and then magically I can see again so making sure you have a good hood um, you don't have to have a fancy auto dark you know digital elite whatever speed glass you can get by with a good fixed shade flip down hood um, you know if you're and that takes some skill to get used to but uh, I love a gold lens fixed shade hood um, when I can get away with it but if I'm 
you know, welding, tacking out a roll cage or doing something in tight quarters. I can't flip my flip my head, my mask down to, to do it. So I, I do enjoy the auto dark. And then same with the TIG welding. When I'm TIGging, I need, you know, I can't, I don't have the skills to flip a hood and still start where I need to start. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't even know if I probably want to get into TIG welding and this that's a upper upper skill level thing your most average joes aren't going to need a tig welder unless you you know feel like you want to do a bunch of aluminum or something like that and you have to be careful because a lot of the cheaper tigs on the market don't have an ac feature they're only dc welders which is you know steel and stuff like that so um you know make sure that if you are going to buy a tig welder that it's it can handle ac and ac i mean Taking aluminum takes a ton of electricity. So, like, I have a SynchroWave 250, and I've done some aluminum stuff where I've had that thing cranked to the max. And, you know, and it still takes a minute to heat up that aluminum and get everything to bond like it's supposed to, because aluminum just sucks the heat out. Um, so, so, yeah, so if you're getting a TIG, you know, make sure you really are sure that you want one and it's going to do what you need it to do. Um, again, you know, TIG welding is the ultimate for body work as well because you can keep the heat down to an absolute minimum, still get a good weld and uh, get her to work how it needs to work. But um, again, like TIG welding is a skill all on its own, running the foot pedal or finger wheel and adding filler and keeping from dabbing the tungsten and keeping from overheating like there's just a whole whole bunch of stuff that goes with tig welding that i don't recommend the average novice home owner home hobbyist get into uh, unless you really have money to burn and want to try and master another skill uh, it took me a long time to pick up tig welding still not great at it uh, i do okay definitely good enough for customer work but i'm no you know you're not going to see my stuff pop up on weld porn anytime soon or uh you know i'm not ever going to advertise myself as some expert welder that's why um meticulous metalworks does all of our aluminum tanks because he welds miles of aluminum every day and so he is an expert master craftsman at aluminum welding and so that's why I'm happy to farm that out to him, but I do our own repairs in-house uh, as far as like aluminum radiators. I'll buy a universal radiator and then change the neck location or add a petcock or add some other steam fitting or something. Like I do that myself with the SynchroWave. Um, so, you know, I have to have that unit here because that's the, the nice thing about being a full service shop. And that was always my goal uh, was we have the mills, we have the lathes, we've got the TIG welders, the big welder. We've got all the stuff that we can do just about everything that needs to be done in a custom shop. Uh, we are not just a body shop, flip shop. We, you know, do everything. And that's what I've always wanted. And so that was, that's why we're set up the way we're set up. Because we can do the things that pop up that, you know, might slow you down on, a, on another build. We just handle 
in stride here because we have the equipment to do it. So, you know, that's something to think about in your own shop. If you want to be set up like that, then maybe consider a TIG welder. But use it regularly so that you know what the hell you're doing. Because uh, nothing's worse than blowing a hole in your aluminum radiator because you forgot, you know, how hard it was to weld thin aluminum to thick aluminum. Um, so, anyway. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the gist, the high points of, uh, of fabrication and welding, uh, welding stuff. Um, you know, keep it clean, keep it good, keep the wind down out of your shop so you get good gas coverage. You know, try to make sure that you practice a few runs before you go to actually sticking the, the real material together. Make sure your machine is set up correctly, buy a decent unit, um, and you know practice often just like everything it comes down to seat time to get good at anything so yeah hopefully you learned something hopefully that was informative i'm sure i missed a lot of stuff because it's a pretty broad topic but that's the high points and um i appreciate you guys i love you very much until next time i'm dan from binder boneyard